0: $1.6 trillion is lost by companies in the U.S. because of poor customer experience. Imagine that. Welcome to the Imagine That podcast. You should listen to today's podcast if you are interested in any of the three following topics. One, how to excel in difficult times. Two, you want to receive great service from automobile dealerships. Or three, you want to walk into the next car dealership a little more educated so you can enjoy the experience. Today, we're fortunate to have Greg Norton with us. Greg is the owner of South Hills Honda. So welcome, Greg. Thank you, Greg. Yeah, I've known Greg for a while. And one of the things we were talking about actually before uh, we started uh, today is that sometimes owning a car dealership or being in the car Business comes with a certain connotation that can be frustrating. I would argue also in our industry, sometimes it's, it's the same connotation and it's frustrating. So I've really enjoyed watching you grow. I've watched you setting a different standard in that business. And I've wa- I've really enjoyed watching how you have um, helped people buy vehicles as more of a consultant than a salesperson. So we're delighted to hear from you today. We're delighted to learn from you. And I think it's interesting also that Greg came in from Philadelphia and started his business in Pittsburgh by starting South Hills. He bought a previous dealership, changed the name of it. It's now called South Hills Honda. And he did that in December, correct me if I'm wrong, of 2007. That's correct. Now, if anybody remembers, he bought the dealership and the next several years were very, very difficult. Right, We were hit by a recession. And Greg, I just want to share with you, I actually went through and tried to determine and figure out, is it unusual that someone comes in and starts or buys a business in a difficult time and has success? So I'm going to share with you a couple of names. All of these organizations were started in difficult times, which leads us to the conclusion that in tough times, good companies make incredible headway. You may recognize a couple of these names. Apple, Chevron, Disney, Enterprise Car Rental, Exxon, FedEx, j j Microsoft, Southwest Airlines, and this little grocery store called Whole Foods. There's something about starting in a difficult time. You did it in 2007. And in the first 10 years, correct me if I'm wrong, you actually doubled the sales of the dealership.
1: That is correct. Even though in 2007, I didn't realize that it was the the first official month of the recession. But as 08 became uh, increasingly more difficult, and certainly in the early months, I started to wonder whether I had uh, just made a catastrophic mistake in leaving Philadelphia, a pretty decent uh, situation yeah, you were
0: at COO of a couple of different dealerships. And- yeah. Uh,
1: we were doing fantastic. Um, but now I had an opportunity to go out on my own as 100%. And while that was certainly the attraction, boy, I, I second-guessed myself uh, for a few months until we got some traction. So sleepless nights. Oh, yeah. And I was making the commute uh, uh, either on a Friday night or a Saturday night uh, back to Philly.
0: With then a young family. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, of course, in, when did it?
0: When when was that moment? Like, aha! I think we're going to be okay.
1: I know exactly when it was. It was uh, the middle of April.
0: Whoa! 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 In '08. Yes. That quick. Yes. You knew you're going to be okay.
1: Yes. Absolutely.
0: Okay. You didn't suffer that much. No, but but I, <laughs> but each
1: day each day seemed like a week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So what what happened in those you know those five months that caused you to be like okay we're all right.
1: I've been involved in some turnarounds before as a part owner, but not as a full owner, complete. And the first thing you have to do is assess the talent that you currently have. It's, it's almost, I will say in every situation I've been, and this would be the, uh, the third turnaround that I had been involved with, there was always someone that was overlooked. So you come into a room like this, you have five people in the room. And one person has been overlooked, I guarantee it, and should be in a position of uh, prominent le- prominence, leadership, um, helping you steer the ship, so to speak. And, and sure enough, uh, you know, you, you do your interviews, uh, you talk to everybody, personally, I'm talking to everyone, from the porters to the, at the time I had a general manager, um, and see if everybody is in the right position and then you realign. Of course, that comes with some stress, uh, but you realign, and then you start building your culture from there. The first thing you have to do, though, is make sure that everyone is in the right spot, and then you build from there. So,
0: so, so true. It doesn't matter if it's a car dealership, an investment firm, a football or baseball team, right? You have to have the right players. And then you absolutely need to put them in the right position, is there any assessment that you guys do? And I know any assessment that you do to uh, try to understand people's strengths and weaknesses?
1: It was um, more just me personally interviewing. I, I know there's a lot of personality profile yeah. stuff uh, out there, but. Um,
0: Not as effective as a good conversation, looking people in the eyeballs.
1: Right. But of course, that takes a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, you imagine we took over, I think we're at in the low 60s for people now, it took over, we were in the high 30s for personnel. But talk to, can you imagine how long it takes? And I know you can talk to 30 or 40 people uh, nonstop. I mean, it's exhausting, but yet there's no shortcut. You can't shortcut that process and expect to get good results. And once you do that, I mean, I had two people that were like like beacons that should be in positions that they were not. They were in lower positions, somehow overlooked or whatever. And ironically enough, One is now my general manager, and one is my general sales manager. For people that are listening,
0: if you're coaching kids, if you're starting a business or you're trying to grow a business, spend time with your people. Because the greatest thing you could do for your customers is have the right people in the right chairs, and then you'll go on to get a result. Let's go to service because I love building that trust. Of knowing that if I come in to your business or we have a client coming into our business, we're going to do our very best and make sure people are buying the right things for the right reasons and they're not overpaying, right? So, And then you service people really well and build that trust over time. So how do you get people to be more consultative in the service process than, hey, you just need another set of tires or Whatever the service to your item is, how do you get them to the point where they're more
1: consulted? That's a very, very good question. And uh, I like to believe that it starts with your mom and your dad <laughs> yeah. and your coaches and teachers and clergy or all the people that have influenced you along the way. We like to hire people that don't have a lot of technical experience in our business. Therefore, fewer bad habits. yeah. So if you hire the nicest people and teach them, try and train them the way of your culture, a lot of it sticks. Most of it sticks.
0: It's, in, it's odd how similar. We are okay bringing people in from a different industry that we think have the right fiber, the right fabric, to and then, and then training them. Because we want to be, like you guys do, a different type of organization than the industry and set a new standard, whether it's on vehicles or helping people maximize their life and legacy. The challenge is you can't hire everybody from your competitors. We can't hire everybody from our competitors and then try to be different than the competitors. You can't. You absolutely cannot. Right. You have to bring people in and then grow them in the Greg Norton way of doing business. Fair? Spot on. One of those, as you were explaining to me, and and this is just to help people when you're sitting in the dealership and you're in the service department or- the service manager calls you and says, you need tires
1: in 2,000 miles, you might as well get them today. You would say, you need them in 2,000 miles. We'd rather see you in 2,000 miles. We we actually try not to sell. All we want to do is, is help you make the right decision. We don't want to have you overspend on anything. And we'd rather build your trust by you knowing that we're not trying to to sell. All we want to do is help you make good, good decisions, a very consultative approach.
0: I, I said that to a group at lunch in preparation for this, this podcast. So I was sitting with a group at lunch and they all looked at me and said, we were sitting at the table, I think there were like five or six us, And they said, we've all heard that, that this is going to need to be done anytime. And that sometime in the next six months, you might as well do it now. And, so, and one person said, yeah, you're sitting in the in the service you know waiting room and they come in and say, by the way, you're going to need time. Might as well do it now. And you're like, okay. But when you think about it, if you make that decision ten times in a row, you've just wasted a set of tires, right? So something
1: just little like that builds the trust. At least we believe it does. And and you know if you if you, one of the things that I say a lot, and I've got a lot of cliches, um, but treat this customer as if it was your mother. What would you tell your mother? Would you say, "Hey, mom, you you need tires in five thousand miles. Let's do them right now." No, I'll find a way to help you maximize the life, bring you back in, you know, three or four months and we'll do it then. Let me help you save some money. And you do that enough times. I mean, we, you know, we service 2000 plus cars a month. You know, you hope that that permeates in the community and people get a real good feeling and and the trust uh, level goes way up. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter the business,
0: car investments pictures, you really do. People buy trust. I think so. I think so also. So that other car dealership may get the new set of tires. I'd rather sell trust. I would too. Because in 10 years, they sold one set of tires. You have a whole community that trusts you and comes in and wants to do business
1: with you. Well, that's exactly right. Do unto others, uh, you know, again, all of those sorts of cliches, but uh, you know, I'll tell everybody, look, I sleep like a baby. Yeah. I mean, I I sleep like an absolute baby every night. I know you guys spend a lot of time on transparency and education for the listeners, you know, so we
0: all become a little bit better at buying a car. I know it's like a major purchase for so many people, and when you accumulate all the all the purchases of vehicles you make, it's it's a gigantic part of expenses for people. Sure. So, um, how would you educate them so when you when you walk into a dealership, um, trade in, you know? car price, list price, how would you educate someone to make sense of all of those numbers? And are are there any tips you can give our listeners?
1: I would. Um, And I thought a lot about this because I thought we'd talk about this. Yes. The first thing I would do is use the internet for your research. Do a little homework on it. That is if you know exactly what you want. I'm talking the brand the model, the trim level of the model. If you know exactly what you want, do a little research online and find out what they're transacting for. So, so any, like any specific websites that you would recommend? KellyBlueBookKBB.com, Edmunds.com. Uh, those are the two premier sites. They'll, they'll tell you what we own the car for. Our invoice price, which is okay, is that for used, new, and used, or is that you can do you can do both? Okay. Uh, but let's let's stay new. New okay. is a little uh, little uh, simpler to explain. Kelly Blue Book, for instance, well, both of them will tell you what the average trans- transaction price is in your zip code. So if it's a twenty thousand dollar invoice, they'll say the average transaction uh, price may be twenty thousand five. So if you know that, you can go into South Hills Honda or whatever other dealership and know that if you pay somewhere around there, I'm talking no trade-in, no anything, because they factor in incentives. They're very up to date within 24 hours of when uh, manufacturer incentive, uh, incentives are posted. But if you were to write a check, you would know if you paid somewhere in the neighborhood of 20005 be it 20000 or $20,005 or, t- or $21, you are going to do okay. You're in the range. And you're going to take a lot of stress out I of your comfort life. Comfort to
0: know that I I just came out of that dealership and I and I uh, as one car dealer that sounds like they do very business very different than you. He said we were playing golf and he said never forget, Greg, you could have got it cheaper. What it's horrible, right? It's a horrible feeling. It is. A, if you know going in that twenty thousand five hundred is the right number, twenty thousand seven hundred, three hundred, two. It's it's close enough that it's like okay. There's reasons for that.
1: Well, in in. And I can't speak for every brand out there because the more expensive the car, even if the the the, the markup percentage was exactly the same from say a Honda to a Bentley, that margin, that dollar of margin is going to be higher, right? But for mainstream automobile sales, the average uh, the average markup is somewhere or transaction is somewhere in the neighborhood of one to two percent.
0: That's over, not what people think.
1: Over, I know they think. They think if, if the car, if I bought a car for, for 20,000, you just made 5,000. Well, it's, it it couldn't be, couldn't be further from the truth. And, and I'm hoping that our listeners will heed this advice because the first thing I wrote down when I talked about, you know, the best, easiest way to buy a car, try and have fun with it. Most people think that it's like the worst experience in the world. The exhaustion thing costs you money and and, and you end up exhausted
0: and you end up getting a, a, poorer deal because you just accept some deal that you could have had a better one earlier on if you'd have done a little research sitting at your home having coffee on the internet exactly right. instead of running from dealer to, to dealership like the Flintstones used to, <laughs> right? 40 yeah. years ago, and you just run around all
1: the place. And Well, one of the myths that exists also, I mean, now that uh, the internet is a full-fledged force uh, in most businesses, you do, you do enough research, you could literally uh, say – my best advice is to try and do business locally. If you think that your local dealer, be it Honda, whomever, is a is, is a fairly solid entity by reputation, either online or referrals, try and do business with them. But it's okay to send an email to that person, that dealership's competitor, local competitor, might be up the road, down the road, whatever send an email to them saying, I'm interested in whatever, down to the trim level. What would you sell the car for? So now you have what you can buy it for through KBB or Edmonds. You've got a quote from that other dealer's competitor. And you'd have to say, I'm writing a check. I'm paying cash. What would you sell that car for? And then you take that to your local competitor And I mean to tell you, it can be the easiest transaction you'd ever want to do. But a lot of people, unfortunately, and I think as time goes on, they'll realize that there's not these gigantic margins. Uh, uh, There really never were, but they're certainly not now. Um, It's all volume. Um, You could make this such an easy, fun process because it should be fun. It should be very exciting. My God, how often do you do it? Three years, every three years, five years, 10 years? It should be more fun than a lot of people make it. And it's fun when you see that people have figured it out and know, okay, you're going to make a couple bucks. Uh, great, because you're a business, you're a local business. I'm patronizing the community. I want to do the right thing locally. Um, and my God, we don't ever forget those what people. What you're
0: saying is so refreshing. It's, it, I'm looking at the people in the room. It's just so refreshing that, you know, do more research, um, call a competitor. It's It's transparency. It builds that trust that allows you to have the fun because, you know, what, what was that? What was that? Um, that men's that there was a store that sold suits or something like that. It was like That's an edu- mean, what was Men's it? warehouse. What, what yeah. did they used to say? An educated consumer is our best customer or yes, something. Yes, That's yes, yes. I'm hearing you say we feel the same way. By the way, the more the more our clients learn, the better chance we have of doing business with them. So the more the more educated your car buyer becomes, the more likely. They will be comfortable and unlike that person that you were talking about this morning with this whole adversarial relationship. I also, though, said embedded in your comments, you said a couple of times, if you're buying cash, that leads me to believe that some people or some dealerships may give you a different price that may be lower if you finance. Is that because there's some money in the financing? Yes. yes.
1: A lot of this can be a little confusing to people because there's so many things, so many variables. So, say, the selling price is one variable. The trade-in is another variable. The interest rate is another variable. Um, so you you have to isolate certain things, and we help people isolate and educate so that they uh, so that when they have gotten quotes from other dealers, we can compare apples to apples. Because a lot of people say say if we're say if we're talking to a trade-in, not to not to go off on a tangent. Whenever you have a trade-in, and this is a very important tip for our listeners, if you have a trade-in, which say 70% of our customers will have, maybe 80, it's, it's critical that you find out what can I buy your car for, Mr. Dealer? And what will you pay me for my trade-in? not commingled, two separate transactions.
0: So I want to know what my trade-in will be, and I want to know what the price I'm buying will be, and don't put them together. Don't put them together. So let me ask this. If you say, I'll, buy, I'll take the trade-in for $10,000, but I, but I decide not to buy the car from you, would you still take the trade-in?
1: At South Hills Honda, 100% of the time That's we will. Is that normal? Absolutely not. Okay, okay.
0: one more. Ready? Yeah,
1: yeah. Buyer lease? Lifestyle decision. It really is. Um, I happen to be a huge fan of leasing. Um, it's, a for Honda, uh, Honda does most of their incentives by way of either, uh, lowering the interest rate or lowering the lease rate. Uh, it's very subtle, very quiet, but it's very meaningful. Uh, most people are payment buyers and it has zero effect on the resale value. So if you're, if you're, you know, rebates or incentives of 1000 thousand, two thousand, three thousand $2,000, $3,000, it will have a detrimental effect on a vehicle's resale value. So the interest rate uh, discount or the leasing discount uh, is real and it's tangible. Okay. So who shouldn't lease? I would say people that like to keep their cars for a long, 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 long time. Um, a good explanation for leasing, if somebody was to come in and say, uh, I think I'm going to trade every three or five years. Okay, if you trade in three years, uh, say we'll use a Civic, for example, if you were to lease, you'll pay, uh, if you were to buy your, your Civic out at the end of your lease, you'll pay probably $1,000 more than the car is worth at the end of three years. Now, is that $1,000, uh, paying that $1,000 more, is that worth it to you to have the option to not want to not wanna keep it? I've had a bad experience. Uh, maybe with the car, it's had, you know, lots of issues. One of the other big, huge things uh, on late model cars is this uh, vehicle history report phenomenon. I don't know if you, I'm sure everyone's heard of Carfax. Uh, the two two biggies are Carfax and AutoCheck. Uh, but a late model car, talking three to five years or zero to five years old, that has had some sort of an accident that's been documented could be perfect. I mean, like the most perfect repair you've ever seen will be worth less. I couldn't believe it. So I did that with my
0: car. So someone ran into me and and we had to have the car fixed. And, and when we and when I went to trade it in, they said minus like $5,000 because it was in an accident. And I'm like, whoa, what do you mean? By, like It wasn't even my fault. Wow. And, it, and, it, and it went down $5,000 in the
1: trade-in. It's, and, it, and it's a real, real thing. And leasing, at least with Honda, I can't speak for every manufacturer, but Honda... Uh, the uh, the bad auto or the bad vehicle history report has no bearing. So
0: all things being equal, there's no incentive for you if they lease or buy. All things being equal, it's just a lifestyle thing. And the benefit of them leasing, you know, someone that holds their car forever, I think is probably less advantageous to you than someone that I,
1: right. It's just another way of acquiring the car. And then we consult with them on, well, what's your lifestyle look like? Does it make sense to either pay cash or finance or lease. And to your point, it makes no difference to us.
0: So it's just a consultative thing based on their lifestyle. Exactly
1: right. Yeah. I mean, you get you get the, your payment is less. Typically, uh, the payment on a lease, and this is a good tip, uh, payment on a lease, a three-year, 12,000-mile-a-year mile lease, normally equates to a zero-down, 72-month payment on what you're buying, typically. It's pretty close.
0: And, and if someone says, well, I drive 20,000 miles a year,
1: we can build it in and show you both ways Uh, because again, education. uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. All right, Greg. So here's the question. If I'm good at, if I'm a, if I'm a great researcher or a great negotiator, who gets the better deal?
1: Well, there's not much room to negotiate um, only because the margins are so small. And in our, in our business, we, we lead with our best foot, right out of the gate. I mean, which comes with some risk because if we've done a poor job of educating that the margins are what the margins are, the trade-in values are are your trade-in value is is in this range and if we've done a uh, not a very good job of of really showing you, not just telling you but showing you how logical um our proposal is to you to, you know, to do business with us. And you still think that there's a lot of room. Well, we're probably not going to do business. For the listeners, they just need to be a little bit careful, right? Your offer,
0: you lead with your best offer. Correct. That's not true at all dealerships. That is correct. So so I just want to be clear for the listeners, like not every dealership's like that. So Let's not do the, hey, I listened to the Imagine That podcast. And so like, no matter what number you give me is good because it's your best offer. That's not true everywhere.
1: Negotiating, it means something different, I think, to almost everyone. I mean, some folks, uh, I think things uh, believe that you have to be really rough and tough in order to negotiate. I don't expect you to remember this, but... um so Elizabeth's 25,
0: when she was 16, we, we came in to, and I don't think we knew each other very well back then. Um, I may have known your name. I don't know, but that's it. And so I came in and came in because we knew someone in the dealership and we sat down nine years ago. And when I was talking to this salesperson, you actually came in and you sat down and I don't know if it was negotiating or not. I just remember having a conversation around the facts that led us to a conclusion that it was fair. And if that's negotiating, I'm not sure, but I remember you sitting down and, and that was the first time I met you face-to-face. And I thought, hmm, that, you know, that felt different than, than the typical experience. We looked at the facts, we understood the facts, you make sure we did, and we actually bought the Honda Civic for Elizabeth.
1: I don't remember the, yeah. I, I feel bad that I don't. No, but, it's good. But that may be one of the best explanations of negotiating, yeah. at least in my world that I've ever heard. Yeah. And, and I mean that, 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 that is, that is spot on because to negotiate implies, I think that there's all this room and back and forth and, you know, smoke filled, uh, cigar smoking, uh, you know, that it's, you know, really going to struggle with trying to get to a common ground. And I still think that there are some businesses that do that, like, um, start high, And then let's see where things uh, shake out. Well, I hate that. Uh, Yeah. And I think most people don't like that. And I think that's one of the things that is perpetuating this feeling of anxiety every time you walk in. I mean, you can, you can see people. I feel so bad for them. They'll come in and they'll, they'll be happy go lucky outside. And the moment they walk through the showroom, they're as rigid as a board. Oh, I feel so bad for them. And, 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 you know, they don't want to lighten up because that may be a sign of weakness and somebody's going to take advantage of them. You know, can't they,
0: say they like the color. And my yeah. goodness, they can't say they like the car <laughs> like, because that means that you think they're going to buy it, right? Exactly.
1: Yeah. I, I feel so bad for them. And then, you know, we try and help as best we can. And, you know, most of the time we're more successful than not, but you still see how knotted up people get over all this. Yeah. And, um, I think, and, and you, you talk, talk that, about this and to circle back about being, uh the best customer for best client for us is an educated client.
0: So I guess the other aha moment or takeaway for our listeners, whether you're buying a vehicle or you're investing your money, work with someone that'll help you learn the truth. And if we could get to the truth, it's a lot easier of to a process. Totally agree. Okay. So now we talked to, we, we talked about a lot of different things, but let's talk about, I can't help drive up, up and down 19 or uh, route 79. And I see that big bubble gum machine that distributes call cars called Carvana. And I, I, I can't figure it out. I'm sure it's awesome. I don't understand, but you know, all industries change. Our industry evolves also in 10 years. Is everybody going over to Carvana or carbuyers.com or how does that work? Where do you see the future going?
1: It's a, uh, it's a great question. It uh a lot of dinner uh, conversation with your colleagues right um, I'll be honest with you all, of all the research I've done and I've looked into it just because I'm curious I mean it's what we do for a living I'm fr- I'm having a difficult time figuring out it as a business but I don't really believe our business will ever become truly an online business I think it's a component I think you even talked about technology um, aiding you know technology for technology's sake I think it, we're naive if we think that's a solution, but if you use it to enhance some of your operations, some of the things you do, uh, I think that's a winner. So we we look at it as that we don't we don't think in our industry
0: because there's robo advisors and all those things, and and, and there's some advantages to them. But when if you're having someone take care of your family and something happens to you, the robo advisor's not showing up to be with your family or figuring out what you really care about and really managing your wealth to maximize your life legacy. So there's a lot of technology out there. So it's sort of similar in the way we look at it. And I hear you saying the same thing is we don't think technology will replace great relationships and people, but we think that people that use technology and great businesses that use technology appropriately to enhance the customer experience as you are and as we are, will replace those entities that do not. So an entity that does not, I don't think we need to be a robo-advisor or carvana Carvan or whatever, but we do need to stay up with the times, use technology to enhance the experience with our clients. And I hear you saying the same thing. I agree. Yeah.
1: Completely, 100%. Yeah.
0: Well, Greg, I don't know how long we spoke, but I I, I learned a whole bunch with a bunch of uh ahas. And hopefully the listeners are going to go into uh, car dealerships across America. And in your case, I hope, you get some Honda clients also, and I hope they enjoy it and when they leave there they're more educated walking in, so when they leave there, they had more fun walking out
1: well i uh, I hope so also i mean i i I feel bad when people are not having as much fun as they should doing this because I know they just the majority of people dread it yes and it and it doesn't need to be that um, but yeah, you've
0: really helped people think about, you know, if, if they're starting a business, even if it's a tough time, if you stay focused on your people and training and experience at work, and you help people think about buying cars differently and, and met more educated. So um, thank you so much. That was very valuable, and we appreciate your time. Thank you for the time. You bet. Thanks. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other subject matters that may be of interest to you, please check us out at Confluence fp.com slash podcast.